Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Kusada Baptist Church. We want to be a lighthouse to guide you on your journey through life. As I was putting this together, I started thinking about the word identity. You know, it's based on, you know, our personality, our, our characteristics, our attributes, our strengths, our weaknesses. That's what makes up our identity. And every one of us in here, we're different. We have our own identity. Now, there might be some similarities, but every one of us, we are completely individualistic. God has created us specific. And my identity is all of those things. Now, you, you notice, I hope you heard that I didn't say it's what I do. It's not, what I, it's not, it's not about what I do. It's who I am. I can do a lot of things other than ministry. But this is what God's called me to do. So he takes my characteristics and my abilities and my strengths and weaknesses and he applies them into doing what I do best through him and in him. And that's ministry. Now some of you may be scratching your head. I'm looking over here at my buddy John. And he's going, what was God thinking when he called Mark into ministry? I had to call you out. I'm sorry. If John had known, had Nancy known, had many of you in this room known me and my identity a long time ago, you'd be asking that question. But when I gave my life to Christ as an eight-year-old, how much damage could I have done as an eight-year-old? I mean, I, I did some damage now. But as an eight-year-old, come on. And then I struggled with that call for two years, and I surrendered my senior year, and I still didn't get it right. I still messed up, and people looked at me, and, and they would question me. I, I thought you said you were a Christian. I thought that you said you surrendered life to ministry, but I don't see that there's much of a change, and I struggled with that. The change was happening. It just hadn't happened from the inside all the way out because I was really holding it in because I was scared of allowing Jesus to be through me and in me so when people saw me that they saw a new identity. And so I just, I chose to remain comfortable to stay where I was. And, but now as my life has progressed and as I see God working in my life, People that knew me way back then, when they look at me now, they can definitely see there's something different. Have you ever taken the opportunity to take like a photo and you hold it up real close to your face? And when you hold it right there in your face, it is very pixelated. You can't really make out what's in the photo. You can see that there's stuff there, but you really can't identify the markings. You can't see what person it is, you just see the shape, the outline, you see maybe the shape of the building, you may see little things, but you can't really identify what's actually there. But as you begin to slowly move that picture away from your eyes, the picture becomes clear. You begin to see and understand the people, the events, the buildings, the objects within that photo, your perspective changes. I wrote this statement down, and I just want to read it so I can get it right. 
Perspective is severely limited when you're too close to an event, person, or thing. All you see is a blur. And sometimes I truly believe that God will turn around and pull us away from a situation so that we can begin to look at things with new eyes, with clarity, to see where we were and what we need to become. And it's a hard transition. It's a hard process. Nobody likes to, you know, nobody likes change. But the mark from way back when, all of the guys and girls that I went to high school with and even in my early years of college, I said one thing, but I did another thing. And I still do that. Not as bad or not as often, but I still mess up. But I wasn't painting a clear picture. And so my identity was skewed in the eyes of the people that I knew way back when. Because I said one thing and I did. I lived a different thing. But now I would hope and pray that because of my fellowship, even though I still get it wrong, I would hope and pray that maybe some of those people from way back when that knew me up close and personal then could look at me now because we've had some distance, we've had some time, they could look at me and go, wow. The only way that Mark can carry that kind of identity is because he encountered Jesus Christ and he's allowing Christ to change his life radically from the inside out. There's a lot of things different about him than what used to be. He's not only talking it, but he's actually living it now. And I can see the difference. What I want to do this morning is I just want to talk about a man named Saul. We know him as Paul. But his life was completely and radically changed and transformed. And his identity we know as being ruthless. A Christian killer. He didn't care. He was on a mission. He was very task oriented. And he was very strong and passionate about what he was doing. And then all of a sudden through scripture we see that he had an encounter with Christ. And things radically, radically changed. And he became Paul where he still was on a mission. He was passionate. He was ruthless, but his perspective was different. If you have your Bibles, I want you to look at a passage of Scripture that's going to be on the screen, but I just want you to see, starting in Acts 7, and allow me just to read, this is the passage that we see where Saul is standing above a pit, and we, we notice that Stephen the follower of Jesus Christ, has been put into that pit because of his faith. The scripture tells us, then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him, Stephen, and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. What an incredible identity. 
in the midst of turmoil and trial and struggle, as rocks are being thrown at him and hitting him, he cries out to the Lord and says, have pity on them and receive my spirit. He fell to his knees. Lord, don't charge him with this sin. And with that, Stephen died. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Can you imagine? You're in your house eating dinner with your family, and it's because of your faith. Someone knocks on the door, they just kick the door open, and they come and start dragging you and your family members out by the hair, grabbing them by the arm because he was on a mission to take them to kill him. And you knew it was coming. And in this passage, we see where Saul is the great destroyer of the faith. He took pride in his work. He was the one standing above the pit where everybody was coming, throwing their coats, and he was standing going, man, look what I just did. I've accomplished something. I set a goal out today to do something, and that was to kill Stephen, and it's done. He was proud of his work. And then after that, persecution really started getting rampant. The followers of the way, it says that they just kind of scattered. They, they ran for their lives. They were scared. We do that. Because I don't want someone coming after me. So Saul was one of the greatest, or is the greatest, destroyer of the faith. That was who he was known for. All of his characteristics, his personality, his attributes, his strengths and weaknesses. Everybody was scared of Saul because of what he was doing and who he was. And then all of a sudden we begin to see in the next couple of verses, starting in chapter 9, verses 1 through 16, we see something incredible happen in the life of Saul. It says, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats and every." with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them back, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on the mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone Down around him, he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. It's interesting that he asked, who are you, Lord? Something different about that voice. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. 
He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street. I don't know about you. You guys have heard me preach and do Bible studies. I encourage the college students all the time. When you're reading, just don't read the, the scripture. Find interesting facts in there. Study it. Ananias, I want you to go to Straight Street and find the most crooked man you can find on that street. A lot of us live on Crooked Street. Go over Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him in a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, oftentimes that's the way we reply. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Let me just kind of translate that to you from Mark's interpretation of scripture lord you're crazy <laughs> hey I, do you know who you're asking me to go talk to really but the lord said go for saul is my chosen instrument to to take my message to the gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of israel and i will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake In one encounter with Jesus Christ, Saul moved from being the greatest destroyer of the faith to becoming the greatest defender of the faith. Just because he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. I find it interesting that his companions heard but didn't see and and they helped him get to judas's house there on straight street and he was there for three days he didn't eat or drink he became very weak physically he didn't know what was going on but i find it interesting because if you continue on reading in that passage the whole time that saul was there before ananias got there to lay his hands on him he was listening to Bible study and Bible teaching. He was being exposed to the reading of God's word and began to hear and see things differently than ever before. And I find it interesting that Jesus, in that encounter, and then God spoke to Ananias. He said, I want you to go talk to him. And he's, you know, Ananias was like, but Lord, I mean, everybody knows who this guy is because of what he does and who he's about. Why in the world would you have me go talk? Because if I go, he's going to know that I'm a follower of the way. He's going to kill me. Why don't you use me, Lord, as a messenger instead of somebody like him? Lord, why in the world are you going to use somebody like Mark? Why don't you use somebody else that, that can actually do it? That's got his life better together. It's interesting to me that God always picked those of us, that's all of us in this room, to do great, mighty things for a great, mighty God.
And it's not because of our abilities, it's because of our availability that God wants to use us. At this moment, Saul was not available, but at the same time, God saw in him what he could be, not what he was. He loved Saul so much so that he loved him the way he was, but said, I want to change your identity from the inside out so much so that it moves you to become a better person. And when people look at you, at that point, they will begin to hear and see and feel Jesus. Now, for a little while, that transition must have been difficult. Because Ananias, we know in that scripture, goes on to the house and lays his hands on Saul and and he gets his eyesight back and scripture goes on to tell us that he stays there for a couple more days and then, so it may have been a week that he was there. So let's just say a full seven days. You know what he did after seven days? After he gained his strength, after he ate and drank and as he was exposed to the teaching and preaching of God's word in that house? He got busy. He started doing the work of the Lord. Instead of taking people away from Christ, he started taking people to Christ. That's why I always say that all of us in this room, we are leaders whether we want to be or not. We're either leading people to the Lord or we're leading people away from the Lord. It's just that simple. So I want to share three things with you this morning. And when you hear them, you're going to think, well, that's very simple. It's, Mark, that's pretty basic. I'm a very basic, simple person. And sometimes it's because I don't get the simple, basic right. I can't do the big things. So the very first thing that I want you to understand, all of us sitting in this room, like Saul, before encountering Jesus Christ, we were an enemy of the Lord. We don't want to admit that. We don't want to confess that. But all of us, at one point or the other, when, when was it that you encountered Jesus Christ? You guys have heard me say this every time I preach. Easter Sunday morning, 1979, as an eight-year-old boy, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. That was the Damascus Road. My Sunday school teacher every Sunday would make, you know, make us do different things and whether it was a room full or if it was just me and him and that day it was just me and him because the other two boys weren't there but he taught the class as if 100 people were in there and he prayed that sinner's prayer every week and that Sunday morning I realized I needed Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior and at the end of the service I came out of the balcony and made my way down to Bill Henson my pastor and told him that I asked Christ into my life and I wanted to follow in baptism As an eight-year-old boy, I realized at that moment that I was an enemy. When did you have that encounter with Christ? Some of us, it may have just been just several months ago, several years ago. It may have been a long time ago. But if we're not careful, even as a child of God now, We allow that sin to come in and separate us from the fellowship of being in God's presence. And that's why we have to crawl back onto the altar, as Paul wrote later in his ministry. Because we get busy doing other things 
and we take our focus off of Christ and our identity becomes of, of what we do and what we should be rather than just who we are in Him. Acts 8 verse 3 tells us, Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house dragging out both men and women to throw into prison. Now, we're not that type of enemy. We don't do that kind of thing. But we do things, and sometimes we don't realize how we're pushing other people away rather than pulling people in. Especially without Jesus Christ in our life. And, and folks, I, you've heard me say this before, but we have churches all across America that people will come in here and they confess the name of Christ, they can read Scripture, they can preach, they can pray, they can quote Scripture, but they've never had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Their life has never radically been changed from the inside out. So they're just playing the part. That's why I say it's very important not to get caught up in what people do. It's who they are. Can you see their heart? Can you see their mind to go? Everything about that individual, their identity is wrapped so much around Christ that when I'm around them, I can tell that they've been around Jesus. I can tell that they've had a quiet time. I can tell that they're in love with Jesus. So Saul turned around and he would go house to house looking for people to destroy. And then Acts 9-1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. Before encountering Jesus Christ, Saul was an enemy of God. We don't ever want to put ourselves in that position. But without Jesus Christ, you were lost. Without Jesus Christ, you are an enemy of God. You know, I shared a story years ago and in a conversation with a young man. He said, Brother Mark, he said, how can you tell people they are going to die and go to hell? And I said, well, it's not easy. I said, but Scripture says that without Christ... You'll be separated. And you will not go to heaven. And he went to his resume of saying, well, yeah, but I, I do this, I do this, I do this. He gave me the checklist of all good things that he'd been doing. I said, but all the good things are not good enough. You'll get to the gate, but you won't get in. And I said, so without Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you will die as an enemy of Christ and you will spend an eternity in hell and he looked at me and kind of did like that with his shirt and he said man you're making it hot in here and I said you think it's hot now just keep on living like you live it brother I'm looking at you this morning just saying that without Christ in your life you're an enemy but your identity can change by the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Because the second thing that I want you to see is we experience transformation when we encounter Jesus Christ. When we have that encounter, I asked a minute ago, but when was it for you 
And you've heard me say this before, but when, when, some, when I'm in, engaging in conversation with someone and, say, you know, and I'll ask them that very personal question, when was it that you had that encounter with Jesus Christ? I don't know. I can't really remember. That's not good enough for me. Well, but why is the date important? Well, ask your spouse that question about an anniversary. Ask them about a birthday. You didn't say anything to me about my birthday. It was last week. Oh, well, I, you know, I didn't really see an importance in that. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to go very well for you. When did you buy that car? Oh, I bought it a year ago and this and that. We, we know dates. When did you encounter Jesus Christ? When did he get a hold of you? When did he change you radically from the inside out? It was Easter Sunday morning, 1979. I was eight years old. I was standing on the stage in East Leesville Baptist Church in Leesville, Louisiana. I was 15 years old. I was wearing a pair of blue jeans and a t-shirt, wearing a pair of ugly suspenders because every time I popped the suspenders, I could actually have magical powers by freezing the youth choir and the choir minister, and I could talk to the church about how to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. And when it came to that very last song, everybody was frozen. And as I told the church how to go about surrendering and giving their life to all of Jesus, I put a white flag in everybody's hand. I got back in my position, getting ready to snap my suspenders to bring them back to life. And John Reeves stood over here. And he cleared his throat, and I looked over at him, and he had that flag, and he was twirling it. He said, where's your flag? And I went to go get mine, and it was not in my pocket. And at that moment, that's when I heard God speak to me very loud and clear for the very first time. I want to use you in ministry. I walked over to John, and I said, I, left. I don't know what to do with my flag. He said, well, go get an extra one. Sing your last song, and we'll talk. So you know what I did? Let somebody else do it. I don't want that transformation. Because God, you're going to ask me to do things that I don't want to do. It's going to be hard. I like who I am. I like where I am. I like what I'm doing is I don't want to give up. The transformation, the process is going to be difficult. I don't want to do that, Lord. So I don't want to surrender. Even though I've been telling people how to do it, I'm a follower of you. I gave my life to you when I was eight. Isn't that good enough? So for two years, I ran. I refused. And I assure you, my identity was being seen and heard and felt. And it was creating chaos and confusion in the hearts and minds of the people that I was with because I said one thing, but I lived a different way. They did not see transformation taking place. Paul's life completely and radically changed. Look at verses 3 through 7. 
As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And see, in that moment, I'm standing over here going, Lord, I'm not persecuting you. I'm actually doing what you want me to do. I'm telling people how to become a Christian. I'm telling people how to surrender. Isn't that good enough? I'm not persecuting you. Yes, you are, Mark, because you're not following in obedience. Yes, you are, Mark, because you're not following in obedience. The voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city. We experience transformation when we encounter Jesus Christ. Things radically change when that happens. And the third thing is this that I want you to capture this morning. After encountering Jesus Christ, we become messengers of God's grace. God puts a new spirit in us. He gives us a new task. He gives us a new mission. Saul was very passionate and very focused on what he was doing. And because of his encounter with Jesus Christ, he still had a great passion. He still had a great focus. But what he was doing was totally different. Look at this passage Verse 15 and 16, but the Lord said, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings. See, at this point, Ananias could have said, Lord, I hear what you're asking me, but there's no way that I'm going to talk to him because if I go, he's going to wind up killing me and I'm not up for that. I didn't sign up for that. If it hadn't have been for the one that came into your life, if they had told the Lord, no, I'm not going to talk to that person, where would you be? Would your identity be the same as it was way back when? Or are you thankful because of their passion, their focus in doing what God called them to do, that you were radically transformed because of them being passionately focused on the mission that God put them on, and it changed your life so much so that now you have a message. You have a story to tell just like Erica did. We question, why would you do something like that? It was difficult, absolutely, but God called me to do it. Well, I don't understand it. You don't have to. <laughs> Just know that God called me to do it, and I have to understand that. Let me ask you this question as I finish up. If the people who knew you way back when, and see, in my mind when I was doing this, I thought about guys and girls that I went to school with, that I should have shared my faith with, And I didn't. If they knew me now, I hope and pray that their perspective of who I am and whose I am would be completely different than what they saw way back when. Because see, they were up close and personal and they didn't see the real me. They didn't see who Christ was creating me to be because I wouldn't allow them to be. I want people to see Jesus in me now. I want them to know that my identity is found in Him and Him alone. It's not found in the people that I have in my life. It's not found in the things that I have, the possessions that I have. It's not even what I do. First and foremost, I am a child of Jesus Christ. 
That's where my identity comes from. Everything else filters from that point on. Let me ask you this as I finish up. When people look at you, when people stand around you, when they hear you, do they see and hear? Do they feel Jesus? Can they tell that your identity is in Jesus Christ? Period. Not Jesus plus this and this and this. Do they know that your identity is found in Jesus Christ? Can they look over your life and they, some people know you from way back when. Can they see the radical change from what you used to be until you are now? It's a matter of perspective for them to go, oh, I, I knew when he was way back when. So let me just tell you this. And I tell people this all the time. They go, oh, no. Randy says this all the time. And, it, and he's asked the question, some of you knew him when he was younger. What in the world was Casada Baptist Church thinking when y'all hired him? If you had known me then, some of you, because I did teenage ministry here, Nancy, we've talked about it. There's no way that you would have wanted your teenager to have hung out with me. Because of the identity that I was portraying before people. I'm thankful that God took me and changed me and is changing and is working on me, making me something better than I used to be. Is he doing that in your life? When people look at you, can they find your identity in Jesus Christ? Stand with me as we pray. Father God, this morning, I pray that as we walk out of this place, as we worship you one last time, we can honestly say that our life has been different from the very moment that we encountered you. That when people look at us, they can see a change. That things are different. Not just on the outside of what we do or what we say, but Lord, they can tell that there's something different on the inside. They can tell that there's been a true encounter. And their perspective of who we are and what we are is so different from the very moment they met us in the past and they see a new created being here in the future and they sit waiting in with great anticipation of knowing what you will do with us in the future. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our prayer that it's been helpful in this part of your life journey. We invite you to join us at Kusada Sunday mornings for worship. Visit our website at kusadabaptist.org for directions and more information about our church.